Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I have champagne. No, Prosecco. It's bubbly! Sunday brunch. Sunday brunch. Well, it's the remnants why, of our Sunday brunch. <laughs> which is why, dear listener, you might already be able to tell that I'm not talking the way I normally do. See, Sunday brunch has left me with that burned roof of my mouth, little <laughs> flap of skin. You're welcome. Um, oh, did you? The food was you delicious. It was too hot. But I bit down right into that that egg casserole. I was too excited. It was, I mean, so it was my grandma's recipe and it came out real good this time. I was like, grandma would be proud. So, uh, yeah, we dug right in. Um, I've been eating that casserole my whole life, so it's always kind of hot. So I was ready. You were not. But no. it didn't keep you from eating three pieces. Oh no, I kept going back. It was <laughs> it was delicious, but I definitely have that that sort of yep. you know how yeah. We've all been there. It, usually it happens a lot with pizza. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, along with that came some sausages and mm-hmm. uh some fruit and some uh Orange mango mimosas. Yeah, which which um, we are still consuming. Still drinking. I'm on number two. Yum. So we've got the bubbles, and uh, yeah, we made that brunch because uh, we were originally going to have house guests um, because my sister and her partner were coming through back from Colorado, and um, then because of snow, because it keeps snowing here, and they had to leave early, so they didn't get to partake in brunch, which they're very sad about. <laughs> like, very sad about. And it's okay, we'll eat the rest for them. It's, but you know what they did do while they were here? What did they do? Do you hear that? Within a podcast where we try to figure out if we know the difference between reality and fiction. Spoiler Does America? alert, we don't. I definitely don't. I'm not good at this game. <laughs> uh, so, if you listened to last month's episode of True Crimes and a Lie, you got to hear us play this game with the ladies of Wine, Dine, and Storytime. Uh, they did well, and once again, I promise I'm eventually going to get around to putting your names on the winner's wall that I still haven't built. But, so we're going to do this, so we've decided we're going to do True Crimes and a Lie once a month, because people seem to like it, and it's fun, and then we get a chance to invite people to come play with us. And this month, we have some very special guests, my little sister, Ashley, and her partner, Jeff. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Welcome to the party. Happy to be here. (laughs) I'm very scared. You should be. See, here's the thing. We've locked them in a closet with wine. I mean, this is creepy as hell. Um, what <laughs> and microphones. Have, what we have never shown to our listeners, because this is an audio medium, so we don't show them what happens, is anyone who loses this game is immediately covered in... Do you ever watch those Nickelodeon game shows? Slimes? Where they, yes. Sli- yeah. Okay. So that's what we do to people who fail. So if you don't answer correctly, you're going to be encased in slime. It... 
hardens um, and you'll never get to leave. Some are piles of clothes. Yeah, because we are surrounded <laughs> by clothes. Potato, potato. <laughs> and if... Was I the only kid that wanted to get slimed? I wanted to be slimed. I wanted to go on those games so bad. I would love to be yeah. slimed. Like, actually, go on, yeah. like, the, the uh, uh, um, uh, dare, uh, double dare. Double dare. Double dare and, like, guts and stuff. Like, I wanted to roll around <laughs> in all that Nickelodeon gook. <laughs> like, Nickelodeon gook. <laughs> I'm going to market that to, like, Toys R Oh, no, Toys R Us doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm a millennial. <laughs> Because we're all old and the world is no fun anymore. It's so it's true. true. <laughs> Do they even slime people anymore? Is Nickelodeon still a thing? Yeah, right. <laughs> Do they actually do anything? I think they just show reruns okay. of like Rocco's Modern Life yeah. and Doug. <laughs> anyway. And then Nick at Night is just the adult version of all those shows, right? Well, Nick at Night when we were kids was like, I love Lucy. I was going to say, I feel like it's like black and white reruns. Um, now I think Nick at Night is Friends. I'm not oh, even kidding, gosh. y'all. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure Nick at Night is friends. <laughs> I feel old. And like, I know. Don't watch it, y'all. If you're over the age of 30, don't turn on Nick at Night. You will just lay in your bed and never leave. <laughs> Ouch. So on that happy note, hey, where are you guys from? We're from Chicago, the beautiful, wonderful, snowy, freezing, windy city of Chicago. <laughs> I used to live there. It is very cold. It is beautiful, but very cold. Beautiful for three months of the year. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And uh, full disclosure, so Ashley and Jeff are coming back from a um, ski uh, uh, excursion. And she called me yesterday and was like, hey, can we stop and stay with you on our drive back to Chicago? I was like, yeah. And then Ken and I were like, we should put them on the podcast. So they literally pulled in. We fed them chili. And we're like, you want to be on a podcast? <laughs> They're um, like, okay. And then they threw us in a closet. And here we are. <laughs> and we're locked in. Here. Welcome to Campfire Classics. <laughs> so this is this is how you're paying for your lodging tonight. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, so have you have you listened to I know you've listened to a few episodes of Campfire Classics. Have you listened to any of the True Crimes and a Lie episodes? I don't before? think we have have we we have but it's been a little while and i really wish we would have known this because we would have refreshed our entire look behind you why did the washing machine just just turn on by itself i told you this was so fucking haunted i told you like literally you started talking i was like oh my god (laughs) and now we're never escaping (laughs) we've upset the closet demons so So, sorry so you were saying so it's been a few months, and we would have done a refresher on our eight-hour trip. <laughs> we told them today, but that's for tomorrow's portion of our trip. So we may need a refresher, but we Great. are Let's excited. Give them a slam bam fast. That's that's fine. I like to give the rules at the beginning of every episode anyway, because I kind of figure I kind of figure every episode is someone's first episode. If so we're doing our job right. may as well. Yeah, and now Ashley and Jeff's friends will all exactly. listen to this. Yeah. Because yeah, hey, do you want to do you want to give a shout out to, <laughs> anyone shout out to anyone specifically so that you can guilt them if they don't listen? The entire Iowa business fraternity. Uh, the, Delta, yeah. the Delta Sigma DSP. Pi. Business fraternity. Florida State swimming. Iowa swimming. There you go. Lauren Tallman. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. Yes. All those people, you better listen and subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. 
But only if you're going to be Otherwise, nice. I will find yeah. you. <laughs> only if you're a five Ashley star. will. <laughs> Ashley got skills. She will find you. <laughs> Uh, so, the way True Crimes and a Lie works is I am going to read the synopses of three crime stories. Two of them are true crime stories. One of them is the plot to a movie or a book or a play or a short story or a thing that a homeless per- per- person told me once, or you, you get the idea. Like it's <laughs> Something gonna be, not real. It's going to be some piece of fictional crime. Okay. Uh, and when I am done reading all three, it will be your job to see if you can tell which one was fiction and which ones were real. Bonus points if you can also pick out a theme that I might have chosen hmm. to to center these stories around. Just the theme's usually pretty obvious. Uh, so I'm going to read these stories in chronological-ish order. I say ish because the first story actually takes place over a wide enough time frame that it's hard to pin down exactly where it belongs in the order. Is it the plot to Game of Thrones? Um, yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Damn, you already won. Damn it! <laughs> the theme uh, is dragons! <laughs> uh, when I've read all three, you'll, you'll each get a chance to, you get a chance to talk about it if you want. Everyone will get their chance to vote for which one they think is the fictional crime before I reveal the answer. And of course, spoiler alert, listeners, for not only a couple of true crime stories, but also potentially other pop culture things that I might reference in this section. Uh, Also, I am avoiding using anyone's names as much as possible to avoid tipping you off with a name that you might recognize from like a movie or a book. (laughs) So if you're ready... We're ready. ready. We're ready. Let's do it. There we go. Story number one. This story opens with an 87-year-old woman who we'll call D. D was arrested for stealing from a store. She is almost certain that she will be convicted, not only because she is guilty, but also because she is known to law enforcement internationally known. These exploits go back to her days as a young woman. She came from a humble family, but her beauty and charm allowed her to sneak her way into more pretentious circles. During her days as a jet-setting jewel thief... Oh, damn. (laughs) She might have made forger Frank Abagnale jealous, employing at least 20 aliases, 10 social security numbers, and a handful of different birth dates. Dee drew attention from international law enforcement when, in her 40s, she stole a diamond ring whose 2021 value would be roughly $2.5 million in Monte Carlo. She was tracked down and arrested sometime later in Nice, but was released after only a few months in prison because law enforcement was never able to find the stolen gem. Because she dropped it at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I listened to a podcast today where they like rewatched Titanic as adult men and were like, this movie is trash. <laughs> and the woman makes this noise. It's like, did someone direct her? She's a very talented actress. She would not have made that choice on her own. James Cameron's like, "Uh." (laughs) oops. (laughs) Dang it. So 
this is the plot to the Titanic. Yes, this yeah. is the plot to Titanic. You win. <laughs> Great. Um, though arrested several times over the next few decades for various reasons, including not enough evidence, early release due to prison overcrowding, and one prison escape, she rarely spent more than a few months in jail at a time. In a bit of an uncharacteristic blunder, or maybe she just wanted a challenge, she was caught robbing the store where we picked up the story when she's 87 years old. She was caught robbing that store because she was still wearing the ankle monitor from her previous arrest. Oh, uh, I come on. thought she was smarter than that. <laughs> yeah. You're 87. Maybe, maybe she has, like, dementia now or something. <laughs> she's like, oh, I forgot I had my ankle monitor on. <laughs> I decided she's southern. <laughs> All right. I like it. I can get behind that. Sounds like a southern lady jewel thief debutante. Um, All right. So that's story number one. All right. Story number two. In this story, an investigative reporter who we'll call Mr. F, along with his team, which included, like, photographer, you know, that sort of thing, uh, was assigned to investigate and report on the theft of a valuable diamond necklace. Uh, The team traveled to London to interview the victim, who we will call Mrs. H. Mr. F visited her office, but she was out, and he ended up meeting with her secretary. Shortly after this meeting, the secretary was arrested by local authorities as a person of interest in the the jewel heist that they were here to investigate. However, the real thief who had set up the secretary to take the fall turns out was the victim's brother. Um, much like the story from last yeah, month. This sounds like a story we read. <laughs> much like the story from last month uh, of America's first bank robbery, yeah. good police work had nothing to do with breaking this case either. Okay. Um, actually, it turns out that Mr. F., the investigative reporter, his photographer, um, through the course of doing his job, happened to find himself well-positioned to overhear the actual criminal, the victim's brother, planning the next robbery. So when the appointed time and place arrived, there was a security team waiting to stop them. The necklace was returned, and the secretary was cleared of all charges. Oh, I'm so glad the secretary's free. <laughs> She's doing her job. She's like, I'm making minimum wage. <laughs> like, so, like I have I every have right to steal this necklace. Yeah. 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 Can I have some now? Thanks. Uh, so that was story number two. Okay. Story number three. Two men walk into a jewelry store. This is not the setup for an off-color joke, I promise. Um, the duo, as we will call them, posed duo. as customers, were shown into the viewing area, pulled out guns, and demanded a shop assistant empty the store's display cabinets. She was held hostage at gunpoint and forced into the street during the getaway after the duo told her they would kill her if she looked like she wasn't cooperating. Af- very. After releasing the hostage outside the store, one of the men fired a shot into the air, presumably to create confusion, and both men got into a car. Police were able to find the car, but it had been abandoned. They followed leads to find the next car that the duo switched to, but found that that one had also been abandoned. The men got away with nearly $40 million worth of jewelry. Despite circulating security camera footage, they could not identify the two men. 
which was particularly strange because they made no attempt to hide their faces. They weren't dressed up as from, nuns or anything? From the security, like, they just walked what? in, two guys in suits. The only thing that was weird is that one of the men was wearing leather gloves, but this Simpson. jewelry store was... So o- OJ, this is O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Simpson. This is the O.J. Simpson bank robbery. I knew it. Um... Uh, so they, they couldn't identify the men. However, a search of the first abandoned car found slipped under the seat a cell phone. It was one of those pay-as-you-go ones, but by following the numbers in the phone's history, the police were able to track down the men. Uh, they had they been unidentifiable in security footage because they had gone to a special effects makeup oh artist. Oh my gosh, I was going to say that! <laughs> And ask them to make them up. Like Mrs. Doubtfire. They, make they me were a woman. Honey. <laughs> oh, honey, I'm so, so happy. happy. <laughs> uh, no, they said they said they were going to go work on a music video, and they needed to look like different people. And so the special uh. effects team. Uh, eventually, a dozen men were arrested as suspects. Only five of them were convicted and sentenced. The jewels were never recovered. Oh, Ooh, shit. Where, where are, are they? they? Yeah, where'd they go? <laughs> the mountains of Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> They're probably, somebody's having a real good life on their private island. <laughs> like, Wait, why were five men convicted? Yeah, Weren't there only two? two? Uh, 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 were, were convicted in, like, the planning and execution. Uh, okay. Two walked in. Got it. Somebody, five were convicted. Makes, somebody took the, like, getaway car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Planning, circumnavigating, security, selling, floor plant, you know. Yeah. Got it. Okay, Okay. so the theme. Is clearly jewelry thievery. Yes. Yeah. Correct. (laughs) All right, so everyone gets half a point for identifying a theme. Yeah. (laughs) Jewels. (laughs) See, they were so nervous, and, like, they've already done just as good as I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) We got theme. I mean, <laughs> might be easier than the other. Yeah, okay, so we've got the 87-year-old woman who got caught after many years of things because she went and stole a Kit Kat from, like, the local store, <laughs> basically. Uh, <laughs> after stealing millions uh, Yeah, after getting away with murder, basically, for years. Um, and then we have the secretary, who was the, accused. The team of investigative reporters the, and the secretary yeah. was accused. Yep. Um, and then we have our final story, which is um, the two the, men walk into a bar. The duo. Yeah. <laughs> two men, <laughs> two walk, men, two walk, two men walk into a bar. <laughs> the third one ducks. Okay. What do you guys think? My first instinct, but only because it was the first story, was that that was fiction because it sounded really similar to a movie. Oh, I thought the fir- I thought the first. So I thought the first one. I had the same view. I thought the first one was fiction. I don't know much about Carmen San Diego, but it sounded like something like Carmen San Diego would do. It sounded Carmen San Diego oh, to me. Isn't she good Carmen though? San Diego. She good? Apparently she's she was bad, in a convenience store with her ankle monitor on. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's fantastic. So uh, that would, I mean, I would talk about talk about TV shows from our childhood. Yeah, that was a good. That good, was good lord, show. I wanted to be on Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, Diego. that giant map that you walked around on. Yeah, but um, also the third one, two men walk into a jewelry store with full face makeup. 
That sounds like a movie. Like that sounds, sounds like, like a Ben be... Affleck movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's like, that's it? weirdly specific. Well, Ben Affleck did do a movie where he was a bank robber, yeah. but they dressed up as nuns. That's oh, why yeah. I was like, oh, they didn't oh. even disguise themselves as nuns. I already put my thing out there. <laughs> the first so, one's. So you, right. you you think the first we'll one go... is the fiction? Okay. Well, yeah. I think we both. For weird reasons, we both thought the first one was fiction, so I think we should stick to our gut. <laughs> <laughs> My gut told me that before I heard the other two stories. True. But, but let's do it. Okay. We're cool. A team. One, one. So my instinct is two. Okay. Because mm-hmm. of like the international aspect of it, and like it sounds kind of mm-hmm. like a like Agatha Christie or something like that. Like okay. Uh, accuse this like the mistaken identity accuse the secretary and then like there's this mystery person that is actually at fault and they tried to blame it on their secretary and all that stuff so i'm going with two okay because it made me laugh the least i guess because so it seems like it would be like, it seemed too simple yeah it did all right so Oh God! The uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start with the the third one because no one guessed the third one. Uh, the third one is a true story of a jewelry heist that happened one in, of us won. in <laughs> London in 2009. Oh, At the wow. time, it was the largest successful jewel heist in London history and the second largest in British history. Wow. Uh, it happened at Graf Diamonds. Oh my God! I want to um, look up their faces and, now when they're holding their makeup. Uh, yes. Thanks, thanks to their insurance, Graph Diamonds was only out about ten million of the forty million that they lost. Wow! So they found the men, but never like found the jewelry. Speculation or got it out is of them? by the time they tracked the men down, they had already broken up the jewelry and mm. sold it off as pieces. Kind of like uh, Ocean's yeah, Eight. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Or also, what's the one with the women? Ocean's That's 8. Ocean's oh, 8. Okay. Yeah. yeah, when they like <laughs> take take the necklace apart and all of a sudden it's yeah. like, blip, blip, yep. and all, yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Actually, that was reminding me of Ocean's 8 the whole time. <laughs> um, like... Story number one is the true life story of Doris Payne. Oh, <laughs> my. Dang it. Born in 1930 <laughs> and most recently arrested in 2017. She attempted to steal $86.22 worth of merchandise from an Atlanta area Walmart. Whoa. So, yeah, she oh bought a bunch gosh. of fucking Kit Kats. I wasn't wrong. <laughs> oh, well, she went she from was, like jewelry stores to, to Walmart? Walmart. She was she was arrested a few other times, but again, oh no. for various other reasons, she was always released early. Oh no. I think I, I think I read she has only spent a grand total through all of her arrests of less than five years in jail. Well, then, of course, she's going to keep going back like, for more. one of them was prison was overcrowded. Yeah. <laughs> that woman is so white. That is a um, so she's white. She's not. <laughs> what? What? She's not. She is a black woman. And, in fact. <gasps> she broke the system. You can you Ooh. can both feel vindicated for thinking this was a movie because Tessa Thompson is currently slated to star as Doris Payne in the movie version of her life. That's why we guessed it. Yes, we that, knew that. We knew about that. that movie we had insider information. Insider info. Yep. We do our research um, on what's wait, coming Wait, so I won? Out. So you won. I haven't won in so long. Because story number <laughs> two is the plot to the 1981 film, The Great Muppet Caper. What? <laughs> yeah! Heather does love the Muppets. I've the seen it. There it is. 
which is basically a play on like uh, Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes. Yep. So you basically the, nailed it. The team, oh. the team of investigative journalists are played by Kermit the Frog, Mr. F. Uh, his twin brother, Fozzie Bear. They do look a lot alike. Um, and Fozzie's my their, favorite. And their photographer, Gonzo. Oh uh, that's dad's favorite. The Gonzo. secretary, yeah. of course, is Miss Piggy. Might need to go watch this now. So yeah. I'm not going to. So uh, did you pick that in honor of the fact that the, all the Muppet shows? The are, Muppet show is now on. It's all streaming on Disney, Disney Plus, Plus. Ah, including all the movies. Yep. So waka waka. <laughs> I feel like Heather cheated. She knew that you were going to pick that because you've been talking about Damn. Disney Plus. I'm just I'm now having flashbacks to our childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Cheated. <laughs> oh damn. We are competitive. <laughs> sisters, 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 sisters. I'm not going to attempt to sing. <laughs> but I'll do the movements. Yeah, we're dancing. You can tell when you're at home. So it's, all right. It is, it, all right. Well, criminals. Huh. Criminals. Go criminals. criminals. Are fun, aren't they? <laughs> Non-murdering criminals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, hey, hey, listener, hey, you. Yes, I'm talking to you now. No, not the other listeners, just you. You. Yeah, you. You. How did you do today? <laughs> did you guess right? Please let us know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And let's uh, give a big thank you to Jeff and Ashley, who joined us in the closet. Woo-hoo! This is their first podcast appearance. Yeah, we feel famous now. <laughs> uh, you are. You pretty much are. Y- yes. You are. Um, if all those people you shouted out to listen to this, you will be. <laughs> and uh, become a patron today. <laughs> so, thanks for stopping by uh, True Crimes and a Lie. We're going to return you now to Campfire Classics. So, uh this has been True Crimes and a Lie. All right, well played. Well played. And congratulations. I finally won again. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you you've had a rough streak. Um nice to break yeah, that. Yeah, I just took the Muppets to bring me back, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we recorded that last night while they were here, and uh, um, so on their way out, um, they were listening to a few of our latest episodes, and they surprised us by coming becoming new patrons. So we can also shout out to them right now and say thank you for becoming patrons. Welcome Ashley to the company, and Jeff. Yes, technically Ashley is the one that patronized, but you know they're oh okay. Partners. Well, thank you, Ashley. Jeff, step up. <laughs> Jeez, Jeff. <laughs> What's your deal, dude? Come on, brah. <laughs> uh, speaking of, um, I, I hate using the 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 word patronizing in this context <laughs> because. Thank you for patronizing us. <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of patronizing people, that's not what I meant. Speaking of being a Patron, speaking of businessy things. Speaking of uh, um, supporting, how about speaking of supporting artists and independent podcasting? I'm going to let you take this segue over. You're doing it better than me. Should have been in marketing like my sister. Um, 
But yes, we have a promo this week, as we've been doing. Um, Cross-promotion is so important for independent podcasters. So um, we have been in touch with Crime Divers podcast. Um, Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. It is a true crime podcast, and I'm actually going to let them tell you a little bit about it. Are you fascinated by true crime like us? If so, check out our podcast, Crime Divers, hosted by me, Jill. And me, Laura. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world. So what are you waiting for? Come join us as we dive in. So that was uh, Jill and Laura, as you just heard, and they clearly are from Scotland, y'all. So it it was very interesting. They reached out to us to do some cross-promotion the week we did the... uh, Robert Lewis, the Robert Louis Stevenson. If you missed that, that was two episodes ago. And uh, I, I was, I listened to their podcast, and I'm like, oh, y'all are definitely from either very northern England or Scotland. They were like, oh yeah, we're from right outside of Edinburgh. And I was like, oh, oh, I should send you the Scots version that Ken did of the uh, Thrawn Janet. And they laughed, and I was like, that's on our patron page, but I might send it to y'all like our Patreon page, but yeah. and they were very intrigued and they, they love Robert Louis Stevenson because he's like a national hero there. Well, so. this, this will be a good reminder when I'm editing this, it will help me remember to send that to them. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to send that your way, ladies. Um, and get ready. We actually might reach out to you and have you read it for like, and then we'll put that on Patreon. Um, maybe, um, we haven't talked to them about that yet, but that would be really fun to actually Hear what it's supposed to Actually hear it read the way it's supposed to be read instead of in my train wreck of an attempt. I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) And if you want to hear it, become a patron today on patreon.com slash 5050artsproduction. I'm done promoting ourselves. So, but yes, so go listen to Crime Divers and they're fabulous. Um... Yeah, I mean, other like we've done true crimes in a lie. We have promoted a true crime podcast. Um, so how this, about if we do something we actually do? Yeah, this is Campfire Classics. We're comedy literature podcast. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to Campfire Classics, by now you're probably really wondering what it is we actually do and why it has anything to do with literature. So what we do every week is find a new story that we haven't read before. And when I say new, I of course mean new to us because it's typically several decades, if not over a century old, because we don't like getting sued by authors who aren't yet in public domain. Yeah. And uh, we take turns cold reading these stories. But first, whoever chose the story... Which was me this week. ...presents a little bit of uh, fun fact context for the story we're about to read. So uh, take it away, Heather. That's my name. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so I've picked this story. It's a new author for us again. We've had a lot of new authors, which is very exciting. And um, this is the life story, uh, abridged, of Francis Richard Stockton, or Frank R. Stockton. This was actually, I went to like five different websites, four different websites. I went to Encyclopedia Britannica, Wikipedia, American Literature, and Study.com. Because there isn't a, like, he, he's kind of elusive, um, and I had to really, like, go other places to piece him together. Because his Wikipedia page is actually very plain. So, Wikipedia people, get on that, because he's actually very fascinating. So, he well, he avoided the paparazzi. He, he avoided the 19th century paparazzi, yeah. yes. 
So he was born in Philadelphia in 1834. And he was one of the most popular American humorists of the late 19th century. Okay. Um, Weird, I haven't heard of him. Exactly. So we'll get into that. So he is a descendant of one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Uh, Stockton was the third son of William Smith Stockton, who was a minister, and uh, his wife, Emily Dean Stockton. So when he was born, he was very, like, scrawny and frail, um, and he was born with one leg shorter than the other. I mean, honestly, everyone's leg is a little shorter than the other, but but his was noticeable. Um, So he was severely limited in his childhood activities. Um, On his daily walks to school, he began to develop an imaginative faculty and orchestrated all these dramas and like fantasy worlds in his head and plotting out tales and whatnot. And at Central High School in Philadelphia, he won a short story contest which was very exciting for him, but his father, who is a minister and wanted him to go into medicine, was very much against him becoming a writer. He's like, absolutely no not. No son of mine going to go into the arts. No arts for you. Um, so he refused to study medicine because he had absolutely no interest in it, but he made a Fair. compromise and uh, went into woodworking, <laughs> which is a different kind of art. I mean, it's an art mm-hmm. form. Um, and a wood engraver was his particular um, wood engraver. Not a wood engraver. Well, I, I heard wooden <laughs> graver. <laughs> he made wooden tombstones. That which that's a terrible idea. <laughs> They're not gonna last very long. It didn't last very long. But no, so he compromised and he was like, "All right, I will write as a hobby and I will go into this field and whatnot." And he promptly moved to New Jersey and was like, bye. So he was an apprentice at first, and then he, of course, was promoted. And so he did that for 14 years, and then his father passed away in 1860. And he and his now wife, um, Mary Ann Edwards Tuttle, moved back to Philadelphia. And because daddy is no longer around, guess what he started to do? I'm going to say, he was like, ha ha, dad's dead. I'm going to go back to writing. (laughs) Jesus, I'm like, oh man, that has to be rough to like live in a time where you got to wait till like your like family members die so you can do what you want to do. I'm like, Um, but he did. So he went back and wrote for a newspaper that was founded by his brother. I find it funny that his brother was allowed to be in like, but he was in publishing. He was in publishing, not writing. So his brother hired him um, to be a reporter, basically. Um, but he ended up submitting um, some like fictional works. And his first uh, fictional work to be published in this magazine, the, uh, the Riverside Magazine, was called Tingaling. <laughs> and it was a fairy tale. Shocking. <laughs> it, no, it was a deep, dark, emotional drama. Tingaling. <laughs> Tingaling. The story of one young boy's journey into manhood. Tingling, the neighborhood murder clown. <laughs> like, that's kind of what that sounds like to me. But you know, moving. It's, it's this is <laughs> this is nineteenth century Pennywise. Yeah, it's where Stephen King got all his ideas. I I knew it. So this was published in the magazine, and then it was later published in a collection called Tingling Tales in eighteen seventy. Tingling. Tingling tales. Uh, So at first he was best known for uh, fairy tales. And what was very interesting about his fairy tales versus others at the time was he had a very humorous approach to them. 
because a lot of them were very dark. I was going to say, what was different about his is they weren't depressing. They were happy and, like, joyous. And the real big thing that was different about them is they did not deliver a dictative or moral message. Looking at you, L. Frank Baum. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, they, instead of, like, being like, and this is what you should learn, it was like the stories ended... And, and the, I hope you didn't learn anything. Well, and it kind of let the readers decide what they learned. So this became, he became very famous for that. And uh, the Griffin and the Minor Cannon in 1885 and the Bee-Man of Orne in 1887 were two of his last children's stories. And then they were republished in uh, 1963 and won the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award. Oh. Like post-mortem. I mean, much post-mortem. Well, yeah. Um, it's very interesting because I've never heard of him, but he just wasn't well known. And it seems like a lot of his fame, a lot like painters and stuff came postmortem. Like he kind of, and he's having a reemergence now. A lot of teachers love teaching him and we'll get into that. All right. So from 1887 onward, he mainly started writing books for adults. Um, in 1895, he wrote the adventure novel, The Adventures of Captain Horn. And this was, in fact... Oh, I've seen that book on shelves. Yep. It was the third best-selling book in America that year. Huh. So he had success. He just, like, for some reason, it just never, like, maybe because he came to it so late in life or, like... He just, he never became uh, Mark Twain. He never became Mark Twain, which they call him. So him and Mark Twain are often very much compared. Oh. um, For their style and whatnot. He also wrote a a work of history in 1898 that's called Buccaneers and Pirates of Our Coast, which I will be finding and I will be reading (laughs) because he wrote a true history book about pirates. So amazing. What made him famous, here it is, a humorous and witty style gave critics a reason to compare him to Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Mark Twain. Twain, So very similar style, but Mark Twain kind of took all the... The Hunani away. The, the Hunani away. He stole the thunder. That's a much better. Don't take the Hunani away. <laughs> no. <laughs> no Hunani for you. No. <laughs> no Hunani for Frank Stockton. Mark Twain used up all the Hunani. He stored it in a cave somewhere in Missouri. Good probably. lord, he was a busy man. <laughs> Fucking ass. So a great quote from our author is, Most people are too silly to be truly interested in anything. They herd together like cattle and do not know what is good for them. So y'all, have opinions and educate yourself. I mean, that's... Um, So he lived a very long life and he ended up dying in Washington, D.C. on April 20th, 1902 of a cerebral hemorrhage. So he was in his late 60s, early 70s, and that was a pretty long life at that time. So what you will be reading today is his most famous story okay? by all accounts that I could find. It's called The Lady or the Tiger. The Lady or the Tiger. Um, it right. was per- first published in 1882, um, and that's what you'll be reading today. All right, let's start this fire. Ooh, it's toasty. The Lady or the Tiger... There's a question mark at the end of the title. Yes, there is. The Lady or the Tiger by Frank R. Stockton. Wow, our voice and speech go should be super. <laughs> hey, I am using the punctuation. 
In the very olden time, there lived a semi-barbaric king whose ideas, though somewhat polished and sharpened by the progressiveness of distant Latin neighbors, were still large, florid, and untrammeled as became the half of him which was barbaric. <laughs> so, so he's a well-read barbaric yeah, king. He's, he's a philosopher barbarian. Okay, sweet. Let's, let's hear about him. Yep. He was a man of exuberant fancy and, withal, of an authority so irresistible that at his will he turned his varied fancies into facts. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was greatly given to self-communing, and when he and himself agreed upon anything, the thing was done. Oh, no. This guy's a nightmare. <laughs> when every member of his domestic and political systems moved smoothly in its appointed course, his nature was bland and genial. But whenever there was a little hitch and some of his orbs got out of their orbits, he was blander and more genial still. For nothing pleased him so much as to make the crooked straight and crush down uneven places. Among the borrowed notions by which his barbarism had become semified was that of the public arena in which, by exhibitions of manly and beastly valor, the minds of his subjects were refined and cultured. So Roman Colosseum. <laughs> but even here, the exuberant and barbaric fancy asserted itself. The arena of the king was built not to give the people an opportunity of hearing the rhapsodies of dying gladiators, nor to enable them to view the inevitable conclusion of a conflict between religious opinions and hungry jaws, but for the purposes far better adapted to widen and develop the mental energies of the people. This vast amphitheater, with its encircling galleries, its mysterious vaults, and its unseen passages, was an agent of poetic justice in which crime was punished or virtue rewarded by the decrees of an impartial and incorruptible chance. The fuck? <laughs> So it's a very, very intricate courthouse, kind yeah. of, <laughs> for the public to watch. All right. Okay. When a subject was accused of a crime of sufficient importance to interest the king, public notice was given that on an appointed day, the fate of the accused person would be decided in the king's arena a structure which well deserved its name, for although its form and plan were borrowed from afar, its purpose emanated solely from the brain of this man who, every barleycorn a king, knew no tradition to which he owed more allegiance than pleased his fancy, and who engrafted on every adopted form of human thought and action the rich growth of his barbaric idealism. Is that all one sentence? Every paragraph I have read so far has been a single sentence. Holy shit. Okay, first of all, the name of the arena, of the king's arena, is 
The King's Arena. It is not presented with capital letters, but I would assume. Yes. So super creative, this yeah. king, <laughs> this barbaric, half barbaric, half uh, philosopher king. Uh, it is named the King's Arena because the king built this arena. <laughs> and it's kingly and grandiose. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Should have gotten one of those Latin philosophers on board and had a fun name. Yeah, but I mean, not <laughs> Zeus's not that, dome. <laughs> not that anyone's much more creative when it comes to naming streets. Like, if you're going to name street. a new street, you just name it after the most recent president to be killed or whatever, and that's how you do that. That is I not mean, how I would city plan. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a lot of cities just name their streets after things in alphabetical order. So it's like, you know, Apple Street... Bacon Street, Cheese Street. Oh, my God. I want to live on bacon and cheese. Like, <laughs> I want to live at the intersection of bacon and cheese. <laughs> well, they wouldn't They wouldn't intersect. That's true. Because that'd be them going Maybe, in. what if I lived, like, in between them and then the main street that went, like, so if bacon was on the right side and cheese was on the left side and then, like, eggy scrambles or something. It's like <laughs> egg, scrambled eggs was the one that goes up and down. The, the, so the streets are all named after food. Yep. And then the that Crosstown Avenue is recipes. Would be... Um, no, I guess egg. Eh. What? What could oh. they be? They could be beverages. It could be beverages or like insults. So I want to live between bacon and cheese and asshat. I live on Asshat Drive. I'm sandwiched right between bacon and cheese. Who wants to move to our town? I live on the corner of pumpkin pie and dimwit troglodyte. <laughs> when all the people had assembled in the galleries and the king surrounded by his court sat high up on his throne for royal state on one side of the arena... He gave a signal, the door beneath him opened, and the accused subject stepped out into the amphitheater. Directly opposite him, on the other side of the enclosed space, were two doors exactly alike and set side by side. It was the duty and privilege of the person on trial to walk directly to these doors and open one of them. He could open either door he pleased. He was subject to no guidance or influence but that of the aforementioned impartial and incorruptible chance. Okay, so this is the original Price is Right? Yes. <laughs> Bob Barker is the king. He's like got his long his long microphone. He's like, door one or door number two, Barker's beauties, <laughs> open the door he chooses. It is a game show. If he opened the one, there came out of it a hungry tiger, the fiercest and most cruel that could be procured, which immediately sprang upon him and tore him to pieces <laughs> as punishment for his guilt. This is the episodes of Price is Right they did not air. Yeah. This, <laughs> this, this one didn't make it. This is the pilot. This is the pilot episode. This one didn't make the censors. <laughs> this was the original pilot pitch, and they were like, yeah. Can we get rid of the tiger? I like, I like where you're going, but Can what we if? Replace the tiger with a really nice blender. <laughs> In a <laughs> no, car no, no, sometimes. No, 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 Your Majesty, we're not going to drop the contestant into the blender. <laughs> no, no. The point is that we don't murder the people no, who come on the show. No murdering. Okay. 
The moment that the case of the criminal was thus decided, doleful iron bells were clanged. Great wails went up from the hired mourners posted on the outer rim of the arena, and the vast audience, with bowed heads and downcast hearts, wended slowly their homeward way, mourning greatly that one so young and fair, or so old and respected, should have merited so dire a fate. Did you just say hired mourners? Yeah. These bitches got paid to be there? Yeah. I mean, you know that historically that was actually a real job. Oh, no. Hired mourners? What? Um, no, particularly, I did not. Particularly at rich people's funerals. Oh, God. So there were more people there? Yeah. They would, oh, that they would is hire people to walk walk along behind and you could pay for like the aggrieved acquaintance who would like walk behind and kind of go, oh, that's really sad. No, it was a good guy. I was really upsetting. Or like, you know, a, a bigger like, oh, I don't, I just, I don't think I can go on. It's so sad. And like if you pay the premium price, they'd be like ripping off their clothes and like trying to throw themselves into the grave with the- That's actually yeah. real? Oh, yeah. Yep. I hate human beings. <laughs> What? I mean, this this was like ancient Rome. That is a weird job. Hey, I, they're all listen, actors. I, I, I do not. Know. I do not criticize how any actor. You know what? Yeah, I take that all finds back. Finds a gig. <laughs> I take that all back. Um, if anyone needs a hired mourner right now, I am available. My website is. <laughs> I, Go to campfireclassics.com and uh, let us know that you would like us to come cry for you. Yeah, I, in recent years, I have found that I cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So, like, it'll be it'll be easy. I I'm can ready. turn on the waterworks. It'll be great. I, I'm I'm trained. I got that master's in uh, professional mourning. <laughs> but. Uh-oh. If the accused person opened the other door, there came forth from it a lady, the most suitable to his years and station that his majesty could select among his fair subjects, and to this lady he was immediately married as a reward for his innocence. Oh my, this is like witch trials, but with tigers and and women. It mattered not that he might already possess a wife and family, or that his affections might be engaged upon an object of his own selection. The king allowed no such subordinate arrangements to interfere with his great scheme of retribution and reward. The exercises, as in the other instance, took place immediately and in the arena. Another door opened beneath the king, and a priest followed by a band of choristers and dancing maidens blowing joyous airs on golden horns. Is that what they call it? Blowing joyous airs? (laughs) (laughs) It's like real good celebration. Well, you're celebrating the guy's innocence. He wasn't so you gotta murdered. corrupt him now? <laughs> he wasn't murdered by a tiger, so he probably wants to celebrate. That's very true. But I also think if, if he is married and has, like, a family there, I wonder what they're feeling. Do they want him to die, or do they want him to, like, abandon them and marry someone else but live? He might not abandon them. They might just become his secret family in Delaware. But they're not so secret. <laughs> secret family in Delaware. <laughs> That's that's where the secret family always lives, right? It's always in, or like Rhode Island, like one of those states. Yeah. One of the smallish eastern states. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know how I'd feel. I'd be like, so does, and especially like back then, like it's probably very religious society. Like, so does he die and like, you know, but then he's guilty. Yeah. So no, I would want him to, I, I'd be like, 
I, I hope he picks the right door and, you know, is um, hitched to this stranger. It'll be great. Maybe it's a friend of mine and we can hang out. And then we'll murder his new wife and he'll be free to come back to his That's what ship. I'm talking about. And then it's a and vicious then, circle because then, and then they have I'll to go be in. right yep. back here. That's a vicious circle. <laughs> this, this king is barbaric. Another door opened beneath the king and a priest followed by a band of choristers and dancing maidens blowing joyous airs on golden horns and treading epithalamic measure. Epithalamic. E-P-I-T-H-A-L-A-M-I-C. Epithalamic is a song or a poem in honor of a bride or a bridegroom. (laughs) Epithalamic. So they were playing music and dancing and reading wedding poetry. Wedding poetry and like, here comes the bride. Yep, okay. Uh, Dancing maidens blowing joyous airs on golden horns and treading an epithalamic measure advanced to where the pair stood side by side and the wedding was promptly and cheerily solemnized. Then the gay brass bells rang forth their merry peals, and people shouted glad hurrahs, and the innocent man, preceded by children strewing flowers on his path, led his bride to his home. That must be a good day for the hired mourners. They don't have to, like, turn on the waterworks. They get to, like, dance yeah, they and probably, probably drink some wine. And, yeah, up. they get paid because they were hired to be mourners just in case, but, like, They're still on the clock, so now they just could be part of the wedding party. Yeah. This was the king's semi-barbaric method of administering justice. Its perfect fairness is obvious. The criminal could not know out of which door would come the lady. He opened either he pleased without having the slightest idea whether in the next instant he was to be devoured or married. Wait, wait, which one's worse? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wow, when did you become a male stand-up comedian in the 90s? Um, My whole life. Have you ever listened to this podcast? (laughs) On some occasions, the tiger came out of one door and on some out of the other. The decisions of this tribunal were not only fair, they were positively determinate. The accused person was instantly punished if he found himself guilty, and if innocent, he was rewarded on the spot, whether he liked it or not. That doesn't sound like a reward. There was no escape from the judgments of the king's arena. (laughs) The institution was a very popular one. When the people gathered together on one of the great trial days, they never knew whether they were to witness a bloody slaughter or a hilarious wedding. This element of uncertainty lent an interest to the occasion which it could not otherwise have attained. Thus, the masses were entertained and pleased, and the thinking part of the community could bring no charge of unfairness against this plan. For did not the accused person have the whole matter in his own hands? This semi-barbaric king had a daughter as blooming... I love the semi-barbaric. It's just like, it's such a great description of this dude. Like, we're going to remind you, he's kind of a dick the whole story. We never get his name. He's just semi-barbaric king. Lord, kind of a dick. (laughs) Kind of a dick. Your royal pseudo-dickiness. 
Hello, I am King Eric the half a dick. <laughs> that is not a good title that's, to give yourself. <laughs> that's a different meaning. <laughs> that is a different story. Um, I hope someone has written a story about the... About King Eric the half a dick? And I'm like, is it sliced in the middle? or <laughs> Which way is it which, half? Which way is it half? Does it just like not have the tip? Or does it like have just, it's sliced right up the middle? <laughs> Or is it just really small so he tells people that it's... Oh, does he have a micro penis? <laughs> this semi-barbaric king had a daughter as blooming as his most florid fancies, and with a soul as fervent and imperious as his own. Uh-oh. As is usual in such cases, she was the apple of his eye and was loved by him above all humanity. I wonder when that phrase started. The apple of his eye? Yeah. Because, like, it's, like, that's just something I've heard my whole life. But, mm-hmm. like, this is over, I mean, this is 100 and almost 50 years ago. Um, apple of my eye. What, like, why? It's not a phrase that makes much sense. I'm going to look it up right now. And we can cut this if it's not interesting. <laughs> the apple of one's eye originally referred to the central aperture of the eye. Figuratively, it is something or more usually someone cherished above all others. So is it is Apple just from someone who was too lazy to say aperture? That is probably true. Somebody like or it miss it got miss uh, or it just didn't fit into the scansion. Because it's in verse. No, <laughs> aperture. Poets. Yeah. Dear listener, if you or someone you know is a linguist or language historian of some sort. Uh, could you let us know if, in fact, that is the origin of the phrase? Is apple just a lazy person's way of saying aperture? da ching <laughs> As is usual in such cases, she was the apple of his eye and was loved by him above all humanity. Among his courtiers was a young man of that fineness of blood and lowness of station common to the conventional heroes of romance who love royal maidens. (laughs) This royal maiden was well satisfied with her lover, for he was handsome and brave to a degree unsurpassed in all this kingdom, and she loved him with an ardor that had enough of barbarism in it to make it exceedingly warm and strong. This love affair moved on happily for many months, until one day the king happened to discover its existence. Mm -hmm. He did not hesitate nor waver in regard to his duty in the premises. The youth was immediately cast into prison, and a day was appointed for his trial in the king's arena. This, of course, was an especially important occasion, and His Majesty, as well as all the people, was greatly interested in the workings and development of this trial. Never before had such a case occurred. Never before had a subject dared to love the daughter of the king. In after years, such things became commonplace enough, but then they were in no slight degree novel and startling. (laughs) How dare you step out of your line, class, street rat, poop face. Wow, (laughs) them's pretty harsh words. I am a semi-barbaric king. (laughs) Lives on the corner of poop face and granola. (laughs) 
The tiger cages of the kingdom were searched for the most savage and relentless beasts from which the fiercest monster might be selected for the arena, and the ranks of maiden youth and beauty throughout the land were carefully surveyed by competent judges in order that the young man might have a fitting bride in case fate did not determine for him a different destiny. Of course, everybody knew that the deed with which the accused was charged had been done. (laughs) He had loved the princess, and neither he, she, nor anyone else thought of denying the fact, but the king would not think of allowing any fact of this kind to interfere with the workings of the tribunal in which he took such great delight and satisfaction. Making up facts. No matter how the affair turned out, the youth would be disposed of, and the king would take an aesthetic pleasure in watching the course of events, which would determine whether or not the young man had done wrong in allowing himself to love the princess. That's a pretty fucked up logic. Like, if you allowed yourself to love my daughter, then you're a horrible person if you get eaten. The appointed day arrived. From far and near, the people gathered and thronged the great galleries of the arena, and crowds, unable to gain admittance, massed themselves against the outside walls. The king and his court were in their places opposite the twin doors, those fateful portals so terrible in their similarity. All was ready. The signal was given. A door beneath the royal party opened, and the lover of the princess walked into the arena. Tall, beautiful, fair, his appearance was greeted with a low hum of admiration and anxiety. Half the audience had not known so grand a youth had lived among them. No wonder the princess loved him. What a terrible thing for him to be there. As the youth advanced into the arena, he turned, as the custom was, to bow to the king. But he did not think at all of that royal personage. His eyes were fixed upon the princess, who sat to the right of her father. Had it not been for the moiety of barbarism in her nature, it is probable that lady would not have been there, but... Her intense and fervid soul would not allow her to be absent on an occasion in which she was so terribly interested. (laughs) That's an unfortunate choice of words. Or very accurate, because maybe she's just kind of... Because they said she's kind of barbaric like that. A little sociopathic? Yep. Huh, this is interesting. I probably want to see if he dies or not. Either way... Something's going to happen. Might as well go. There's nothing good on TV this week. Mostly because TV hasn't been exactly. invented. But. And people say TV was bad. This is why TV was invented, y'all. TV was invented so we would stop feeding our neighbors to tigers. Yep. <laughs> Instead, they go on Judge Judy or The Bachelor. This is really sort of the original <laughs> Judge Judy. Yeah. And The yeah. Bachelor rolled into one. And like Survivor. I mean, every reality show is based on this. <laughs> Even game shows. Like, but it's sort of it's sort of very explicitly Judge Judy and The Bachelor yeah. because you are judged and whoever's left standing at the end gets married. Gets married. <laughs> <laughs> 
From the moment that the decree had gone forth that her... Ah, we were talking about the princess and she was super interested. From the moment that the decree had gone forth that her lover should decide his fate in the king's arena, she had thought of nothing, night or day, but this great event and the various subjects connected with it. Possessed of more power, influence, and force of character than anyone who had ever before been interested in such a case, she had done what no other person had done. She had possessed herself of the secret of the doors. (gasps) She knew in which of the two rooms that lay behind those doors stood the cage of the tiger with its open front, and in which waited the lady. Oh, so we're going to get the answer of which one do you wish? (laughs) Through these thick doors, heavily curtained with skins on the inside, it was impossible that any noise or suggestion should come from within to the person who should approach to raise the latch of one of them. But gold and the power of woman's will had bought the secret to the princess. And not only did she know in which room stood the lady ready to emerge, all blushing and radiant should her door be opened, but she knew who the lady was. Uh (laughs) It was one of the fairest and loveliest of the damsels of the court who had been selected as the reward of the accused youth should he be proved innocent of the crime of aspiring to one so far above him. And the princess hated her (laughs) oh no it is the bachelor it's the bachelor (laughs) that bitch is spending too much time with him i'm gonna go in do you think i should go in okay i'm going in (laughs) often had she seen or imagined that she had seen this fair creature throwing glances of admiration upon the person of her (laughs) lover and sometimes she thought these glances were perceived and even returned. Oh, this is not good. (laughs) Now and then she had seen them talking together. It was but for a moment or two, but much can be said in a brief space. How dare he talk to other people? It may have been on most unimportant topics, but how could she know that? Trust the person you love? (laughs) The girl was lovely, But she had dared to raise her eyes to the loved one of the princess, and with all the intensity of the savage blood transmitted to her through long lines of holy barbaric ancestors, she hated the woman who blushed and trembled behind that silent door. When her lover turned and looked at her, and his eyes met hers as she sat there, paler and whiter than any one in the vast ocean of anxious faces about her, he saw by that power of quick perception which is given to those whose souls are one that she knew behind which door crouched the tiger and behind which stood the lady. He had expected her to know it. He understood her nature, and his soul was assured that she would never rest until she had made plain to herself this thing hidden to all others, lookers-on, even the king. 
The only hope for the youth in which there was any element of certainty was based upon the success of the princess in discovering this mystery, and the moment he looked upon her, he saw she had succeeded, as in his soul he knew she would succeed. Then it was that his quick and anxious glance asked the question, which? It was plain to her as if he shouted it from where he stood. There was not an instant to be lost. The question was asked in a flash. It must be answered in another. Her right arm lay on a cushioned parapet before her. She raised her hand and made a slight quick movement toward the right. No one but her lover saw her. Every eye was fixed on the man in the arena. He turned, and with a firm and rapid step, he walked across the empty space. Every heart stopped beating, every breath was held, every eye was fixed immovably upon that man. Without the slightest hesitation, he went to the door on the right and opened it. Now, the point of the story is oh, this. What? Did the tiger come out of that door, or did the lady? No. So the point of the story is the question that you were asking. Oh, and it's Oh no. It's not it's not end. It's not over. There are a few more paragraphs. Oh, okay. But but clearly his thinking was the same as your yeah. thinking, which is so what do you think? What's going to happen? Does she yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> the more we reflect upon this question, the harder it is to answer. It involves a study of the human heart which leads us through devious mazes of passion out of which it is difficult to find our way. Think of it, fair reader, not as if the decision of the question depended upon yourself, but upon that hot-blooded, semi-barbaric princess, her soul at a white heat beneath the combined fires of despair and jealousy. She had lost him, but who should have him? <laughs> How often in her waking hours and in her dreams had she started in wild horror and covered her face with her hands as she thought of her lover opening the door on the other side of which waited the cruel fangs of the tiger. But how much oftener had she seen him open the other door? How in her grievous reveries had she gnashed her teeth and torn her hair when she saw his start of rapturous delight as he opened the door of the lady? How her soul burned in agony when she had seen him rush to meet that woman with her flushing cheek and sparkling eye of triumph. When she had seen him lead her forth, his whole frame kindled with the joy of recovered life. When she had heard the glad shouts from the multitude and the wild ringing of happy bells. When she had seen the priest with his joyous followers advance to the couple and make them man and wife before her very eyes, and when she had seen them walk away together upon their path of flowers, followed by the tremendous shouts of the hilarious multitude in which her one despairing shriek was lost and drowned. Would it not be better for him to die at once 
and go to wait for her in the blessed regions of semi-barbaric futurity? And yet, that awful tiger, those shrieks, that blood. Her decision had been indicated in an instant, but it had been made after days and nights of anguished deliberation. She had known she would be asked. She had decided what she would answer, and without the slightest hesitation, she had moved her hand to the right. The question of her decision is one not to be lightly considered, and it is not for me to presume to set myself up as the one person able to answer it, and so I leave it with all of you. Which came out of the open door? The lady or the tiger? That's fucked up. This is <laughs> fuck, fucking A. <laughs> oh my God. I, there was a lot interesting about that, but what I find fascinating about the structure of that that falls in line with what you read from the fun, fun facts yeah. is that it very much has the feel of a fairy tale that teaches a moral. But what is the moral is that it's moral? teaching? It's not telling you. It's- like it kind of right it's that weird thing of it's hitting you over over the head with the moral but the moral seems to be it's not my job to tell you the moral. Yeah, it's your job to make your own decisions, which also goes along with the quote he's that I picked um, of like, don't be cattle, like yeah. make your own choices, choose your own adventure kind of thing. Uh, I love choose your own adventure books. That was kind of a choose your own adventure. Like in if that had been written in the 1980s and 90s, there would be a page turn and it would say, if you choose the tiger, turn to page 22. If you choose the lady, turn to page 58. <laughs> like, yeah. If you choose the right door, if you choose the left door. Yeah. Yeah. The The question becomes, I have lost this person. Yeah. I'm going to gesture one way or the other, and that is going to decide whether I give this person a future or take away a future from a person I hate. Yeah. See, I would absolutely pick the girl. I think. No, I would because like things happen. Mm-hmm. You can poison that bitch tomorrow. Like <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Well, <laughs> the other thing is Frank Stockton had to wait until his dad died to be happy. Oh shit. <laughs> That's true. Just Wait for the next time someone uh, gets brought into, like, let him go and marry the girl, right? Well, like, right there. Right there. Let her marry the girl right there. And then wait for the next time someone comes and is accused, and they open the door to the tiger. And when the tiger is, like, attacking that guy, she everyone... She skips town. No. When the, when the tiger is attacking that guy, then just grab dad by the collar and toss him into the arena. <laughs> then dad gets mauled by a tiger, and now you don't have to worry about pleasing him. You can go um, poison the bitch from the court and take your man back. Maybe that's what they're going to do now. <laughs> Maybe she's like, release the tiger, and she's about to, like... Like, she's already like paid the guards to know which door it is so she also paid the guards to like throw dad in the, in the pit 
<laughs> he's gonna grab. He's gonna open the door, grab on, swing around behind so that the tiger bursts out. That's some fucking Tyrion Lannister shit. He's like, Dad, you're an asshole. I'm gonna like, yeah. Who knows? We get to decide. <laughs> this is a choose-your-own-ending st- story. That was that was really great. Ooh, this will be fun, dear listener. If you're still listening for some reason, how would you end the story? What happens? Yeah, what, happens what do you next? think happens? Email us at uh, campfireclassics at gmail or go to the Actually, website fifty fifty hours production at gmail Oh, we don't have a gmail. That's right. We Take should that. probably get a campfire classics podcast at gmail email address. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Go to campfireclassicspodcast.com and you can send us a message directly there or you can go to our production company, 5050artsproduction at gmail.com and let us know. Or you can put it on any of our like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok. <laughs> if you shoot us a message uh, we will about, respond. How, about how, you would, how you would end the story, we'll share. We will read it out loud in our next episode. Yeah. If you let us know and like give us like a your answer and a why, just a brief like why, we will read it out loud. So you will be famous like Ashley and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was great. Was a fun one. That was a packed episode. Yeah. All right. I like it. So go check out Crime Divers podcast. And if you want to know more about us, campfireclassicspodcasts.com. Uh, and you can become a patron as well if you're interested at patreon.com slash 5050 arts production. That's the one. That's all on our website. Awesome. Uh, so thank you very much as always for listening. We'll be back with you next subscribe. Tuesday. Subscribe. If you liked this, subscribe. Uh, yeah. And to our new listeners, thank you yeah. for joining Welcome. us. Welcome. Welcome to the, to the entire fraternity of business at the University of Iowa. Uh, <laughs> so until next week. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. In heaven there is no beer, that's why we drink it here. Go Hawks! I'm just hoping they're all listening, so I'm pandering to our new Hawkeye fans.